Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Sometimes I think about the, the need for just kind of excavating digging down deep to find some good in what we're doing, to find our grounding, our roots again. And sometimes it's like like this, you know, sometimes we just want to, sometimes we just want to dig underneath the surface, figure out what it is that we're looking for, and I'm digging, and I'm not finding anything yet. That's kind of a picture of this Lenten season, is this idea that we're digging down. And the expectation is, is that we find what is really important. We find what is keeping us from moving forward. And when we do, it's significant and important that we repent. Repentance, again, it means if I'm going this direction and I'm made aware of the fact that I really ought to be going the other direction if I want a life that is filled with God, that is filled with grace and mercy and love, then it's probably the other direction. Yeah, good morning. My name's Gene. I'm uh, part of the team here at Restore, and I'm, uh, I'm uh, thinking about this digging thing. Uh, obviously, we shot that, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago already, and thank the Lord that this is uh, not, it's not this snowy this morning. I'm loving this weather a whole lot more. But when I was, when I was reflecting on that moment in the woods, talking about what it means to repent, I remembered this big, or at least in my kid's eye, it was big. We had a big uh, sandbox when I was growing up. And um, it was built around this, um, this maple tree. And you probably have done this too, right? You've, you've dug a hole. And as a kid, we thought that we could dig to China, right? Like if you dug far enough, well, China's on the other side of the world, so I'm probably going to get to China, right? Well, the whole premise of that was to see how far you can dig. The whole premise of, of this conversation this morning is to, to see what happens when we get below the surface. To see what keeps us from moving forward. That thing that keeps us stuck. Identifying what's, it, what's the root cause of the way we're living our life. For many of us, this past year, and do you know that one year ago today was the last Sunday that we had a service here in the building uh, before we closed for an extended period of time? I'm glad we're back in the house this morning. For all of those online, I am so glad you're with us this morning. Some of you are dealing with COVID, and that's, not, that's why you're not here. 
Uh, for those of you that are dealing with that, um, God be with you. We continue to pray healing over you. For all of us in the room, you better not have COVID if you're here. <laughs> I think our future is bright. Even though this past year, it's been a challenge like many of us have never experienced before. It's, it's been a challenge because we've had to dig deep, haven't we? We've had to find what matters. We've had to throw out what isn't adding value to our lives. And we've had to step up and forward into our future or else our, our future is just going to leave us behind. But this morning, I have, no, um, I have no question about our future. And I believe our future is bright I believe our future is, is, is waiting for us just to step into it and become all that God's called us to be. I don't care. Well, okay, so I sort of care, right? But I don't subscribe to the doom and gloom scenarios. And, and of course, neither do I believe that digging a hole all the way to China and sticking my head in it and pretending that everything is peachy, that's not, that's not where I'm at either. I just know that our, our surroundings, the way the world is, should never determine how we will be joyful. It should never determine how we will live based on whether or not the world is as it should be. Guess what? Never in the time that I've been on earth, never has there been a time in my life where there has been peace in the world. Never has there not been divorce and abuse and kids failing in school. Never has there been a time when racism has not been a thing, when women were not mistreated and maligned and diminished and treated as property, when humans didn't mistreat each other. I grew up going to a public school. Trust me, I was not cool. I was small, had a bad haircut, wore homemade clothes, wasn't much of an athlete and preferred books and music over athletics. I didn't fit in where I was supposed to fit in. And unfortunately, my experience is not unusual. Many of us, many of us as human beings trying to swim in this ocean of life, find ourselves not fitting in, finding ourselves a misfit, finding ourselves disturbed by the way the world is. And then we find ourselves joyless because we have subscribed to the idea that I will be happy, I will express joy when my surroundings are just as they should be. Well, if we've, if we've all felt fallen out of sorts, if we felt lost this last year, that's to be expected. I think all of us have been stretched to the limits. Our mutual equilibrium, we've lost our balance. It's been out of sync. And for all of us, grace for the day that we're living in has become our essential ingredient. We have got to have grace for every day that we step into. And this has become more and more uh, an awareness for all of us. Guys, we need each other. I need you and you need me. Our mutual support, our leaning in instead of leaning out is not only important to me and you, but it is imperative that our community and our neighborhood sees us doing that. Leaning into love, to bring justice, to express care, to do everything in our power, to lighten the load of humanity. There is, there is a heaviness. There's a heaviness. There's, a, there's a, a, a grief, a sorrow that can only be carried when it is carried in community. 
when we know that we have each other's back, when my grief is your grief, when my sorrow is your sorrow, that's when we can stand with strength. That's when we're strongest, is when we are for each other. So when you, when you hear me talk about the importance of not just consuming, but of serving, of mentoring, of connection, it's not just because it's good for you. Surprise, no, no, it's not just for you. It's, it's not just because of, it, it makes you feel good. This is about what is good for all of us. It's good for all of us to elevate love, to, uh, it's good for all of us to be dependent on each other. And what is good for all of us is dependent on our ability to actually look out for the good of others, not just of me. It's not just me, but it is for the good of others. It is in allowing and in creating space for moments like right now to allow the Holy Spirit to come and engage and equip us so that our vision, our our, our mission that we're on, that we're on together, is not about us, but it is about lifting up Jesus and each other in our community, in this space, and around the world. This is to be for each other, for our families and our city. And that means we sacrifice. We do the deep, hard work of introspection. Part of sacrificing and introspection is to see what's happening inside of me, because if I don't know what's happening inside of me, how am I going to be a healing force in the neighborhood that I'm in? How am I going to be in our community and actually do good if I am not aware of my own fallibility, if I'm not aware of, my, of what's going on inside of me? So we do the hard work. We find the buried treasure. We ask the question like, what is it that I can give today? What must I do to elevate my workplace, my third place, my school, my dorm? How is it that I can become all that God calls me to be, if not by becoming less so that he can become more? See, God's ways are far above mine. God's ways are far above yours. His, his thoughts are far above all of ours. And when we align ourselves with him, we find that he says, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out, away from what has been and to, to what could be. Scripture tells us, hey, he says, don't align yourself with the ways of unbelievers. When I was a kid, it was like this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it was said like this. In the old King James, come out from among them and be ye separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, that means different things to different people. But as followers of Jesus, come out from among them doesn't mean don't be with those not like yourself. It doesn't mean they're pariahs and you should stay away from them. They're poisonous. It simply means behave differently, do differently, stay with them and be inclined towards them. Those that don't yet know, those that do things differently. Maybe you can be an influence. Stand up, stand with. But don't just stand by and do nothing. Go a different direction. Go a different direction. That's where we're going this morning. We're going a different direction. That's the title of my message. Last week, Brenda brought the fire, didn't she? Was she awesome or what? Come on now. She, was, she told us, like, playing it safe won't cut it. Playing it safe will keep us from the best life, the, the life that you and I are called to live. So in this season of Lent, 
If we are dust and to dust we will return, how do we rise from the ashes? How do we do this? Guys, what if during Lent, this time between mid-February and Easter, what if our rising from the ashes would be marked by making some decisive change in direction of our lives? What if we would make a decision to go a different direction? What if our language would change from death to cursing, from death and cursing to life and beauty? What if our language would change from death and cursing to life and beauty? Um, In another life, um, we owned a business that uh, I, I I was running, and I remember one morning, this idea of blessing and cursing, I brought it up in a business staff meeting, and I got this shocked look from some of my team members because their idea of cursing was to say words that were unbecoming, like bad words. That was their idea of cursing. They hadn't taken into account that whenever we speak words of denigration, words that demean, belittle, diminish, words of gossip, whenever our words and actions don't align with the way of Jesus, we curse the very creation of God. Psalm 20, or Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a person thinks, so is he. Our thoughts and the words they form are a big part of our witness. So what if, what if we changed the way that we speak during the course of this uh, six-week journey to, to Easter? What if during Lent we would increase our commitment to pray, to fast, to speak life and not death, to confess and live in repentance, constantly taking stock of how then should we live? And if you've been around for a few weeks, you might be sitting there going, Gene, seriously, I'm tired of evaluating everything, of measuring my words, of correcting my actions. If I'm a Christian, why do I need to keep confessing and repenting? Why does it matter to anyone else? It's my private life. By the way, don't tell me what to do. You may be thinking that. Hopefully not. I want to turn this to Scripture because Scripture has a lot to say about how we live and how we live in confession and repentance and how that helps us, how that helps us in our trajectory of life. So if you would... Uh, turn with me in your Bibles. Those of you online, you can turn to Joel chapter 2, and it'll be on the screen for those of us in the room. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. While there is time. It's not too late, so turn to me now, he says. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. See, God is not talking about something superficial. He wants a genuine turning from sin that comes from the heart. Turn to me with all your heart, he says. See, repentance, and Brenda already tagged on this, but repentance involves brokenness. When when King David was was, uh, repenting of his sin, He declared that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These God will not despise. What God despises is is false repentance. What God despises is when we say we want to go one direction, but we turn the opposite way and do the very thing that he calls us out of. Repentance is more 
uh, than just an outward ceremony. See, the Jewish people would tear their clothes as a sign of mourning. But just like our rituals, like maybe coming to church on Sunday morning, it can become a ritual. If we don't take a fresh perspective, if we don't say, this is where I need to be, and this is why. It's not drudgery. It is showing up and, and leaning in instead of leaning away. When we depend on ritual, when we depend on ritual only to feed us, it is a, it's going to be a real challenge to fill up on ritual. When it's not fresh, when it's not compelling, when you're not engaged, it becomes very, very difficult to live as Jesus has called us to live. And by the way, around here, we believe in order to be saved, to be in alignment with Jesus, and in our, uh, we believe that, that, that because Christ died and rose from the dead, that it is our decision that we believe in that. We believe in Jesus. And it is that initial believing that is a continuum throughout our life. If you make a decision for Jesus, it's not just for that moment. It is for your entire life. Um, so also is our, like our initial repentance because it marks the beginning of a life of repentance. We all know how it feels and how we, what feels, how we feel inside, how difficult it is to live in a place when our slate is not clean. Well, we know there is when there is sin in our lives, when we have messed up, when we have made a mistake and we have not acknowledged it, we've not confessed it, we've not repented of it, we know what that feels like. That's why we keep repentance. It's a perpetual repentance the rest of our lives. It doesn't mean you're not living in grace. It doesn't mean that God isn't for you unless you repent. It means that you are constantly keeping your slate clean before Almighty God. Finish up on 13. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. He is slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. And who knows? And I love this phrase in 14. Who knows? Like, uh, God just might. He's like a wink. He's winking at us, right? Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve. He'll send you a blessing instead of this curse. Of course he will. It's said, I, I read that as if it was said in jest. You come back to God. You repent of your sin. And of course, God will give you blessing instead of curse. We return. He says, give me your hearts. Give me your affection. What are those things? What are affections? What are the affections of your heart? What are the things that you, that you refuse to give up? We all have them. We all have those things that we want to hang on to that we should be releasing. Psalm 51, 17 says that, and this is the true, the, the true repentance that God is after. He says, the sacrifice you desire, and he's talking to God. David's talking to God. He says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken, and there it is, and repentant heart. Because you are slow to anger. Remember earlier in the verse? Slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. 
Now, maybe you hear this this morning, and you think, Whew, God has finally changed his mind about me. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, when you confess and repent from the sin of your life, it's your mind that's changing. It's your mind that changes, not God's. He has always had your best in mind. He has always known who you really are, who you could become, who you were destined to be. God is always after the heart. He is not after mere, like, outward religious expression. Look, a change of mind or perspective is of no value if it doesn't change your direction. If your change of mind, a change of heart is true, it will change your life trajectory. God wants sincere prayer, not impressive speeches. He wants genuine devotion, not self-righteous declaration. God wants your heart. He wants your love, your adoration, your gratefulness, your obedience, because his highest priority for your life is that you would live in intimate, connected relationship with him. Bottom line, if you get nothing else right, get that one right. That's what God wants most of all. Joel continues to write in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Bring them all. Bring them all. Bring them all to the house. Bring them all. Let's get straight with each other. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence. And I, be, I those of us that are leaders, I don't, I don't care if it's the church. I don't care if it's in industry. Wherever you are a leader, you know that in your organization, if you don't, if, if you don't model the behavior, if you don't model what you want others to do, it's not going to get done. If you want something done a certain way, you're going to have to stand up and say, this is what I'm doing. Please follow me. Follow my example. Do as I do. And so God calls those of us that are in leadership to be the ones that stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. We are the first that need to repent, to confess and repent of our sin. Let them pray, he says. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. See, that's what happens to the church in the local community sometimes. When we don't do as we say we do, when we do something different from what we say we, we do, when we are not the people that God's called us to be, we become a mockery and God's name becomes a mockery because we don't stand up and say, this is who we are, this is who we believe God is, and this is why we do the things that we do. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Has the God of Restore left them? Has the God of the local church left them? Is that why they act the way they do? Is that why they don't love any more than the average person walking down the street? Is that why the average person walking down the street loves better than those people that go to Restore or to whatever local church? Then the Lord will pity his people and he'll jealously guard the honor of his land. Yeah, when we repent, when we confess and we repent of our sin, of our way of living, God will take pity. Did you see the first four words 
of verse 18, then the Lord will. Then the Lord will. It reminds me of a passage in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's very familiar to many of us. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if my people will repent, then I will. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God was saying, you do your part and repent, and I'll do my part and restore. You repent, I'll restore. In verse 19, the Lord will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven driven into the Dead Sea and those at the rear into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land and surely the good, the Lord has done great things. And in verse 21, he says, don't be afraid. See, many of us are looking at this and going, well, what is the Dead Sea and what is the Mediterranean to me? <laughs> what is that to me? What is the Dead Sea? That's, that's on the other side of the world. I don't know what that is. How is that pertinent to me? I'm telling you that all of us, at one time or another, if you haven't yet, you certainly will. You will, you will get to the Dead Sea in your life and you will say, where do I go from here? What do I do next? And when we call out to God, see, what he's talking about here is he's putting a strong guard around the children of Israel. He's saying, I'm going to take care of you. You repent, I'm going to restore. I'm going to cover you. I'm going to take care of you. Did the children of Israel never again experience anything difficult in their lives? Of course not. Will you, if you confess and repent, ever have a difficult circumstance in your life? Yes, guaranteed you will. You will. But God is for you. He is coming, going before you. He's going behind you. He's on your left. He's on your right. He is all around you. All we have to do is lean in and receive. So I wonder, where does this find you this morning? Those of you online, those of you in the house, where does this find you this morning? Do you have contempt for God? Have you been ambivalent or agnostic? Or, atheist, or, or an atheist, or a practical atheist, which a practical atheist is simply someone that says there is a God, but I'm living like there is no, isn't a God. I think there's a lot of us in the Christian community that would, if we were honest, would say we're a practical atheist. We say one thing, we do another. We say we believe in Jesus, but we don't live in the redemption and the restoration of Jesus. And that's by choice. But God, who is very kind to you, puts up with you and deals patiently with you. Do you realize that it is God's kindness that calls you and leads you to him? It's God's kindness that calls us to repentance. I'm reminded of the words in, of Jesus in Revelation 2. When he's addressing the church in Ephesus, he's calling her to cease from one kind of behavior and to the embracing of, the, of another. Stop with the abandoning of your first love and go do the works you did at first. We all, man, we received Jesus and we are fired up. Generally speaking, that's what happens. We get fired up for a moment. And then if we're not careful, if we don't stay tuned in, if, we don't, if, we're, not, if we're not experiencing Jesus, we will lose our way. See, this is, this is genuine, true repentance. 
True, genuine repentance is when we go and do the works of Christ. So be quick to repent. Don't be weighed down with the consciousness of sin. We think about confessing and repenting, we think, oh man, okay, so I'm gonna be so hyper aware of sin that I can't even function. No, no, no. Now you're living in bondage again. Go live in freedom. Know that all you have to do is show up. The Holy Spirit is in you. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters you and you're empowered to live the way of Jesus. That's all you gotta do. True repentance says, I have sinned. I have sinned. Uh, you ever been in a relationship with somebody who comes up to you and says, um, I know you're feeling bad about what I did, so if I did anything to make you feel bad, I'm sorry. It's not what we're talking about. We're saying, I have sinned. We acknowledge that we have sinned. We acknowledge that we are broken. I am broken. I hate that sin. Whatever sin we're repenting from, I hate that sin. Some of you might be saying, what is sin? It's mistakes we make. It's, it's doing, uh, so there are two kinds of sin. There's the sin of omission and sins of commission. A sin of omission is a sin committed because of neglecting to do what is right. The Bible says if you know what to do, the good to do and don't do it, it is sin. If you know the good to do and don't do it, it is sin. That's the sin of omission. What is the sin of commission? Well, this is typical of those things that you can't hide. They're right up front, front and center. Everybody sees it. Sexual sin, adultery, murder, stealing. Those things that we think, oh yeah, those are easily identifiable as sin. That should be repented of. When the truth is that the things of the heart, we hide them really, really well. Those are the things that need to come to the surface and be recognized and repented of. All of them do. But I mean, the ones that we can hide are the ones of omission. True repentance is, I don't intend to do that again. I don't intend to do that again. You can repent all day long and then the next second, step right back into it because you didn't really intend not to do it again. You have to be firm in your decision and, and be committed to change. Commit to change and go a different direction. Repentance is a 180. You're doing a 180. You're going one direction, you're turning and you're going the other. So if I repent, how do I know it's real? I love this passage from, from the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, 20. He's preaching and he says, I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. By the good things that they do. Guys, this isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. Lasting repentance, going a different direction, is the work of a surrendered heart, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Repentance is walking out our confession. Repentance is turning from something, and faith is turning to. Repentance is turning from evil, and faith is turning to good. So why does all this matter? Why does all this matter? 
Does the trajectory of your life matter? Does your life matter? Lasting change will never happen without true repentance. But if you repent, you are finally on your way to recovery. You are finally on your way to healing, restoration, living fully, having clarity of purpose. When I repented as a teenager, I'm going to tell you that I had peace. You all heard peace in the past is understanding. It's real. It's real. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, which leads us to cultivate godliness, which leads us to rid ourselves of habits that lead to sin. As we turn to the final verse in Joel chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. I love this. I love the idea that God is a God. It's true. He's a God of restoration. He's a God that delivers redemption. He's a God that empowers us to walk a different direction. Giving us back what we've lost. Now, it's a figure of speech, right? Time is not restored. Time always moves forward. We can't really recapture time. But if you think about restoration, some of you may think about your wasted years. Some of you may be thinking about how the devil has used your life. He's convinced you that you can never be used or be effective for God again. Listen, I, I want to remind you again that God turns all things out for good. Grief for past mistakes. They gotta be processed. You gotta think through those things, but don't live there. If you're living in regret this morning, that's a tool that Satan uses to keep you locked up in despair. Your wasted years are not restored because there is a sufficient amount of sorrow expressed. That's not why God restores those wasted years. He, he is restoring the broken places even now, even now, even now. Your eyes wide open. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing the restoration of God happening in your life? See, this is the promise of God. He says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. God takes you right where you are. God can take the remaining years of your life and give you so much victory, so much uh, service and effectiveness that it will seem as though those years have been restored. Those dead years of sin and sorrow. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling like your life is fruitless. You don't see any results. You're stuck. The prescription of God is confess and repent. And when you do, he restores the years the locusts have eaten. This is the promise of God. This is not 
empty words. He says to you and I, when we confess and when we repent, we come into alignment with Almighty God and He moves in and He empowers us and He restores us. Do you pray with me? God, we thank you this morning that your word is true, it is powerful, it is sharp as a two-edged sword. It, it, uh, it, it gives me a picture of slicing and dicing away those things. We dig down deep and we, 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 we dig those things out of the way. We cut those things out that keep us from who you've called us to be. So God, I know that in this house this morning and online, wherever we are, there is, there is deep sadness in some of us. There is a deep discomfort with our position with you. Because I know, I know because I've been there. I know because repentance is part of my life. We often pray, create in us a clean heart, just as the psalmist wrote. Renew a right spirit within us. And this morning, God, I'm praying for each one in the room this, that, that each one would recognize their position with you. That we would contemplate, that we would confess, that we would repent because God, you have called us to be the church. We are your body. And as your body, we are your instruments of peace and grace wherever we go. And if we don't lead, if we don't lead, who will? I want to give an invitation this morning for anyone in the house. Anyone online, if you're online, you'll have an opportunity online to give your life to Jesus, to surrender your life to Jesus. And in the house, the same thing here. Um, surrendering our lives is much like releasing, right? If you've been here very long, you've heard me say this. If you open your hands in front of you, some of us have our hands clenched really, really tight. We wanna keep everything in our grip because if we begin to release if we begin to surrender our lives it means going places that we haven't gone before it means going places in our hearts and minds that we've not gone before and so um, I'm just going to ask you if you are in a place where you want to give your life to Jesus this morning I would invite you to simply say simple, a very simple sentence of Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Opening your hand in front of you is just symbolic again of saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm surrendering. I've not been able to do this not been able to do this, but I choose to go a different way this morning. I'm going a different direction. 
God, if, if there are places in our hearts that even now we are surrendering to you, God, we give it all. We give it all to you. We believe that you have died on the cross, that you rose again, and that because you rose again, your resurrection means that we have a resurrection too. So Father, for anyone in the room that has made that decision this morning, I pray blessing and grace over them. May they experience the renewal of your spirit within them in the days to come. Even in this very moment, move in, restore, redeem as only you can do, as only you have promised to do. Strengthen them in their new faith. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. This morning, I would also tell you that in two weeks, we're going to baptize anyone that is, that's their next step. If your next step is to be baptized, that's available in two weeks. So if you made a commitment this morning and would like to talk to someone about that, we're here to help. And uh, you can go on the website, actually, top right-hand side, there's a baptism tab. You just click on that and get registered. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.